confession, I need you, it is fundamental Christianity. Right? I need you. That is fundamental. Just as we were singing, I was just thinking to myself, if you were to boil down Christianity, it is I need you. And God has said, here I am. (laughs) Because religious systems are about us trying to figure out how to fix us. But Christianity is not just a religious system. It is the one relationship that provides wholeness and freedom to all of us. Your freedom is found when you say to Jesus, I need you. Your freedom is not found by your capacity to solve your problems. Your freedom is not found in your capacity to get degrees and skills and to make money. Your freedom is found in Jesus. He says, why don't you come to me? Are you tired and worn out on religion? Are you tired and worn out on political games? Are you tired and worn out in your life? Why don't you come to me, Jesus says. So when you boil down our humanity and our existence, it comes to this point. Do you need him or are you just living your life by yourself? And that's the difference between Saul, King Saul, and King David. King Saul said, I don't need him. I can handle it. And David said, I need you. And one of them was called a man after God's own heart. And one of them was rejected by God. That may be the most important thing you hear this morning. You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Get used to saying, I need you. (laughs) I need you. Every hour, I need you. When I'm stuck in sin, I need you. At my best days, I need you. When I'm successful as a parent, I need you. When I fail as a parent, I need you. When I'm making money, I need you. When I'm not making money, I need you. When coronavirus is ravaging the world, I need you. And when I'm healthy, I need you. Can we be the kind of church that that's our refrain over and over and over and over? I need you. I need you. (laughs) Okay. I guess we should get on with the real sermon, huh? (laughs) This morning, we are looking at 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 10, and Psalm 110, and the message is entitled, Covenant. Covenant. I'm going to invite Dennis to come on up here, because we're going to jump right at this. Um, 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 10, Psalm 110, big idea. Is this the covenant established by God with David has both eternal and immediate ramifications for each of us? The covenant established by God with David has both eternal and immediate ramifications for each of us. Our discussion is going to be in three parts. Number one, God establishes an irrevocable and eternal covenant with David. That's the first 17 verses of 2 Samuel 7. That's part one. Part two is David responds with awe, humility, praise, and gratitude. That's verses 18 to 22. And then we're going to have a chance for us to just share and just give some uh, practical applications as a family. And if you're online, please uh, share in the chat. Uh, we have some, some pastors that are online and looking at that, and also sending questions in to Dennis and myself. So let me pray, and then let's go after the text. Father, we thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your presence here with us. And we gather as your kids, 
in humility to tell you that we need you. We need you to understand your word. We need you to apply it to our hearts. We need you to understand your ways and your thoughts. We need you this morning. And we will need you tomorrow morning too. (laughs) So Abba, we come. And Jesus, we honor you here in this place. You are the king. We honor you. And Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to come. You are the great teacher. So I ask that you will teach, that you will awaken in us worship and gratitude and humility and awe. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Part one. God establishes an irrevocable and eternal covenant with David. So let's just do a little bit of quick context uh, just so we can see where we're at and what's been happening. So the ark, we remember last week, the ark has now come to David. Remember, uh, he left it at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and Obed-Edom just gets blessed because the presence of God is in Obed-Edom's house. David gets it now with him, and he's dancing. He's wildly dancing, and Michael's like, what is this? He says, I will celebrate because the presence of God is with me. So the ark has come. The symbol of God's presence has come to Jerusalem. And now David has a situation. The ark is sitting in a tent. And he's looking at this ark, and he's saying, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to build a house. We're going to build a a tabernacle, a temple, not a tabernacle, a temple for this ark, for the presence of God. We're going to build this house for God's presence so that God's presence can dwell permanently. It won't go to one person's house or another person's house or leave Jerusalem. It's going to be right here. And then God looks at David and says, I like this plan. This is a good plan. This is my plan in you. Here's the deal not now. Have you ever been in a, in a moment where God said, not now? <laughs> said, not now, David. And not even through you, it's going to come through your son, Solomon. So he says, yes, we are going to build this temple, but not now, and it'll be through your son, Solomon. And we find this out in 1 Kings 5 and 6. And then God does something interesting. God reverses this house-building concept. David says, I want to build you a house, And God says, actually, here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to build your house. And by house, he's talking about his dynasty. He's talking about his family. God says, I I hear you. You want to build a house for me. And in honor of that, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your dynasty. And here's an important thought, friends. God doesn't think primarily about geography and buildings. God is thinking relationships and generations. David's like, let's build a house. Let's let's get some framers in here. Let's get some drywall in here. Let's get some paint on the walls. And God says, my priority is you, your family, and a generation that's coming. Let let me just say something, and y'all know this, but let me just say it again. The church is is us. God is interested. When he he thinks church, he's thinking us. He's not primarily thinking about buildings. And not just us, he's thinking about, if, if the Lord tarries, he's thinking about us as a family for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 150, 250, 300 years. You see, what we do now has an effect on what's coming. That's the way God thinks. A lot of us are like, oh, look at this beautiful building. And this is a beautiful building. But God is interested in relationships and generations. So that's the context. Let's talk Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. This is the language that the Bible uses and theologians use to discuss this relational a promise and relationship that God has made with David. There's covenants all throughout the scripture. There's five of them, actually. And this is a a specific covenant between David 
and God. Now, something about covenants is they, when, when God is making a covenant, he's basically saying, okay, he, here's you and here's me. We got two parties, and these two parties are going to come into a relationship with one another. So in, in God's covenant, in the way of thinking, is he finds someone, he finds Noah, and he makes a covenant. He finds Abraham and makes a covenant. Finds Moses and makes a covenant. He finds David and makes a covenant. He finds Jesus and makes a covenant, okay? So with David, he finds David. He says, you're David, I'm Yahweh. We're going to be in covenant relationship with one another. So there's an establishment of, of the parties. And then God will actually go through, this is what you and I are going to be about. This is the way I'm going to behave. This is the way you are going to behave. These are the things that I'm going to do. These are the things that you are going to do. Now listen, this covenant language outside of Israel. There's covenants happening all over outside of Israel. And in those covenants, it's very interesting. There's these blessings and curses where, where this covenant, someone will say, listen, if you, if you betray me and stab me in the back, these are the curses that are gonna happen to you. And we've broken covenant. But with David and God, it's really interesting. David makes a promise. God makes a promise to David even if your sons mess up, which, by the way, spoiler alert, they do mess up, right? <laughs> he goes, even if your sons mess up, I will not break this covenant. This is an eternal covenant. This is a significant thing. I I'm, I'm pressing this point because this is a significant thing. 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. Listen, for all of eternity, we're going to be thinking about the Davidic covenant. I don't want to steal Genesis thunder because he's about to come. But when you see Jesus, you see the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So it's a significant thing, 2 Samuel 7. So God makes these promises, and they are irrevocable promises to David. Even if David were to walk away, God is going to hold true to these promises. This is what they are, six in the text. One, it says, David, I'm going to make a great name for you. I'm going to make your name great. Second. I'm going to give you a dwelling place, a place to be with me. Third, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. Fourth, I'm going to give you a royal dynasty. There's going to be, there's going to be men who come as kings after you, king after king after king after king. A dynasty is coming. Because remember, Saul lost his dynasty, didn't he? So it's entirely possible in David's mind, what happens if another David shows up and now I lose my dynasty? He says, no, I'm going I'm to give you a royal dynasty. Fifth, it is irrevocable and it is eternal. Can you imagine? This dynasty, this kingdom will last forever, he says to David. And sixth and finally, he says, there's eternal adoption as a royal son. I am adopting you, David, and I'm adopting every member of your family that comes after you to be in my family forever. These promises that God makes to David. D? Yeah, it's a, it's an, it's an, it's, this is one of the major moments in the whole Bible. And mm -hmm. What's awesome is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all at work here, and they're incredibly faithful. Yeah. Incredibly faithful. Now, we get a little touch of this when we read this. We think, okay, yeah, this was made 3,000 years ago. It's still in effect. Jesus is coming back. He's going to be the king on earth forever. And his, his throne is going to say on it somewhere, this is the throne of David mm. that Jesus is sitting on forever. This is the promise God has made. Mm. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around thousands of years. I mean, this past week, uh, one of our oldest saints, Nina Coates, mm. uh, faithful following the Lord, 95 years old, uh, breathed her last and walked into the arms of Jesus on mm. Thursday night at 10 o'clock. Hope was there. there was, family was there. Um, it was an amazing, peaceful moment. Mm. And 
Tom and Jane Dewey yesterday celebrated 50 years of marriage. <laughs> and some of, we've got someone who's been married longer here, but th these, are, these are pictures of faithfulness, pictures of the covenant. And God goes way beyond. He anointed David, Samuel anointed David when he was 13. And he goes in this long and winding road, right, to, like we talked last week. But now he goes beyond, exceedingly abundant, beyond all David had ever thought or imagined, and tells him, hey, by the way, I'm going to establish your dynasty for eternity. Hmm. So God goes over and above, and Jesus will come. But look at this, this psalm that David writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we see happening in Psalm 110, the first verse, it says, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, in the Hebrew, it literally says, the oracle of Yahweh to my Adonai. So what David is actually, when he's writing this psalm, he's actually in the heavenlies. He's hearing the conversation between Yahweh, the Father, and Adonai, <laughs> Jesus. So awesome. He's hearing the conversation, and it, what's going on? It's, what's going on is what was happening in Daniel chapter seven, mm. where Daniel sees this picture, doesn't hear all of what's going on, but he sees the picture, and one like a son of man comes walking into the presence of the Ancient of Days, mm. and the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, says to my Adonai. David says, "My Adonai." So now David is understanding that there's a father and there's a son. He's understanding that there's an eternal decree being issued between the father and the son. And the father is telling him, you're going to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's a picture of the old days where when one king would defeat the other, he would stand on the other king's neck. We see this picture often in scripture. It's the picture of victory, of total victory. And then it says in verse 2, Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. That is, Jesus will rule from Zion. The troops will be willing. They will come in your day of battle. They will be arrayed in holy splendor. That's a picture of Revelation 19. When Jesus comes back, we, the believers, will be with him dressed in white linen on white horses like him. And then we read in verse 4, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's a weird name. It only appears in the Bible three places. In the book of Genesis, Melchizedek appears to Abraham and receives the tithe of the victory against the kings that Abraham had when he was rescuing his nephew Lot. Melchizedek appears out of nowhere. Then he appears here in Psalm 110, and then he appears in the letter to the Hebrews in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Mm. And Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance by Jesus. This is the king of peace or the king of shalom, and he's also the priest. And there's going to be a new priesthood. There's going to be a, new, a whole new way of relating uh, to God, and that's going to be spelled out a little bit later by the prophets. So Jesus is going to be a king, he's going to be a prophet, and he's going to be a priest, the first to fulfill all three roles. And then it says in verse 5, Adonai is at your right hand, is at the Yahweh's right hand. He's going to crush kings on the day of his wrath, Revelation 19 again, hmm. and he will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. That's a picture of Gideon the victory that is achieved by very few people. And in fact, as we read Revelation 19, Jesus is going to do everything himself. Hmm. So Jesus is the, the, the picture here, the promise. David gets to see this. David gets to see uh, and hear in the heavenly realm this discussion. And when he was on earth, Jesus would say, whose son is the Messiah? And all the experts of the law would say it's, it's the son of David is going to be the Messiah. 
And then Jesus says, in the ultimate mic drop to all these guys, he <laughs> says, well, wait a minute. If he is David's son, then why does David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoting Psalm 110, say that he's his master? If he's his son, how can he be his master? And we see in this the revelation that the way it's going to happen is that David will have an ancestral descendant who will be Adonai, who will be the son of Yahweh, who will be the fulfiller of all of these prophecies, all of this psalm that David saw. So that, that's so amazing because it means that Christ himself is our future. He is our king. He is the descendant of David. And Matthew goes to great lengths in the first chapter to lay out the genealogy of Jesus in sections of 14 generations. Well, 14 is what you get if you add up the letters in the name David. If you add them up, they add up to 14. So Matthew is saying, this is the Davidic king that God promised to David. This is the one, Jesus Christ. So now we are promised this eternal king who will rescue us, who will defeat all evil, who will make everything right. And this is so important, this psalm. It's quoted 27 times in the New Testament. Mm. One of the most quoted passages in the whole New Testament. So 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 110 this is a groundbreaking moment where we can say it was just as they promised to David. When I say they, I mean the father and the son as they had this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing for us to be able to see, ah, this is a promise that will absolutely take place. And we're even more fortunate at this part of history to know that he, he promised David, he did come, he did die on the cross, he did raise from the dead, he was ascended into heaven, and everything that David saw has been fulfilled except the part uh, in verses 3 and verses 5 and 6 when he's coming back. So we can live knowing that he's going to make good this covenant, he's going to make good and he will sit on the throne and we'll call him king, and we'll be the ones who said, yep, we read this on October 11th in the scriptures, and it's happened exactly as God said it would. Amen? Amen. Amen. Is that good? Mm. Are you guys excited to know, like, you are stepping into 3,000 years of history here, and you are, you are receiving the promise mm. that mm. God gave David. Amen. It's really crazy. I know that, I, I don't know if you guys ever had this experience. You know like when you watch a documentary and it talks about like the universe and they'll do like the little thing where they have like a picture of, of the United States and Canada, right? And then they'll back it up and they'll back it up and they just keep backing up all the way and then it's like here's the Milky Way galaxy and then the next galaxy and then another picture and they're like there's billions of galaxies just in this picture. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like when you think about God, he spoke from what we know right now, billions of galaxies. He just, and each of those billions of galaxies have billions of stars. And one of the stars in one of those galaxies has planets. <laughs> and one of those planets is Earth. And on that planet was one dude named David, and God goes, eternal covenant with you. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff where your mind just goes, what? When God does something, he's not doing something flippant. He's not just off the cuff making a decision. They have eternal ramifications have eternal effects. 
And we, listen, for eternity, we will not tire of looking at God and saying, you are so good for making a covenant with David. We will not tire. Three millennia in to eternity, we will look at Jesus and go, you are so good. You are, the, you are the great king and Messiah and victor who has solved all evil and death. And God just chose one dude and looks at him and goes, this is what I'm going to do for you, David. Not because you're great, but because I'm great. This is what I'm going to do. It's mind-boggling. So if your head hurts a little bit, you're doing it right. <laughs> So let's just, take a few, let's just take a few moments here. John Kofsky's got a microphone. What's going through your mind? What, what thoughts are going through your mind? What questions? Well, let's, let's have a little bit of dialogue on the epic nature of this text. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, let's talk through this a little bit. Scott over here. Because it was the primary definition of caller was a visitor, a part-timer. Hmm. And I started thinking to myself, I know God loves me and I know I'm saved, but I think what he's saying is, Scott, you're still just a caller. You drop in every once in a while with me. And we have good visits. You're a nice guy, but you're a caller. Mm. So I'm now listening to this sermon this morning and thinking, how could anybody be a caller? How could anybody say that this God is not worth our full and undivided devotion every day of every hour, if you will? Yes. Now... Maybe the other definition of caller is a proclaimer. Mm-hmm. Somebody who calls out. They talk about, you know, like a, a bingo hall, you know, calling out and things. Yep. And I'm a speaker. I mean, that's what I do for a living. Yep. And I make big presentations to big groups. And, and so maybe that's God, too. He hasn't quite yet defined, at least for me, what that means. But the point is, is that there is no way that we should be part-time with God. Yeah. We should be fully 100% invested because yep. this is the promise that we get from that. Yep. So go forth and good. invest. That's good. good, Scott. That's really, really good. Yeah. Other, other comments, other thoughts? I got Krista over here. Thank you. So in Numbers, uh, no, not Numbers, but in uh, Jeremiah 23, 6, it says, and he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And it's so powerful that that is who he is to us. And when um, he was talking about nicknames, it just reminded me of that. Like, that's just not his nickname to us. That's his very nature. That's his character. That's who he is for us. That's his covenant love and his faithfulness to us. And we can rest in that faithfulness and that love that he has for us. 
Yeah, so this idea of God, Scott was saying of God giving us a nickname uh, and asking God what the nickname is. And, you know, Scott got collar. Um, Krista, that's a great build on that. And I, I look to the end of the book of Revelation or the beginning of the book of Revelation and we're all going to get yeah. uh, a white stone with a, with a new name. And I think that this idea is coming out of identity. Mm -hmm. as, we, as we start to understand our identity and the trust we can have in our identity in Christ and how he knows us and knows, uh, you know, knows our destiny. So if we're in him, we're not, we're not going to miss our destiny, um, but we're going to want to cling you know, full time. Yeah. Uh, just to be an encourager to Scott, uh, the, the moment he said caller, I saw that as a verb, not a noun. And I thought, that's perfect for Scott because he is a caller. He calls people yeah. to the faith. So that's what came to me. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Good. That's good. When Scott said uh, move uh, and that Brian was doing a devotional on that, I had a dream last week, and it was an extraordinary dream. And after it was all over, the one word I came away with was move. Mm. And what the dream was about was that um, just to say yes when God wanted you to move. Yeah. And you didn't have to worry about what anybody thought about it. You didn't have to worry about whether it was possible or not. You just had to say yes and you had to go. And then right. I, I just went to some extraordinary places and amazing things happened. And I was as surprised as anybody else that these things were possible. It wasn't about me. It was just about t taking the very next step. Like yeah. you were standing on the Grand Canyon and God just requires you to do one thing. And that is just to the next step off of the edge of the Grand Canyon and then he catches your footfall with his hand. Yeah. You have mm -hmm. to take that first step of faith. Yep. But then, and he just takes you to extraordinary places as you continue to do that. Yep. yep. That's good. I got the word move. That's good, Linda. That's really good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, it also speaks to the tenderness of God with each of us. Like, you know how <laughs> this happens to ministers, unfortunately. A lot of people will know our name, but we won't know their name. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, brother, right? You know, uh, sister, good to see you. Um, God knows our name, and he's got other nicknames in his mind, other identity things. When he sees Jamie, he sees Naj, he sees John, he sees Ashley, He's thinking all kinds of things about, I love her. I love him. I want to do amazing things. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, right? What God has in store and in mind for Naj and John and Ashley and Jamie and Linda and Scott, for all of us. What kind of adventure would life be like if you tapped into what Abba thinks about you and then walked in it? How would your life be different if instead of being primarily defined by vocation or the words that have been spoken over you, the words of hatred and rejection that have been spoken over you? How would your life be different if you were shaped by the voice of Abba over your life? Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Scott, I did the exact same thing about uh, 2014. That idea was presented to me as well. I was like, What's, what, what, is, what does Abba think about me and what name has he given me? And he told me I'm not allowed to say my nickname <laughs> uh, right now. But it's been significant in my life to walk into a staff meeting or to walk into a space 
and to be secure in who Abba says I am rather than what other people may think or what other people have said about me. So I just I want to encourage you. The creator of the universe has a unique name for you. Why don't you ask him what it is? He sees you very specifically. Why don't you ask him, how do you see me? <laughs> Especially if the way you've been seeing yourself has got you to a place that you don't like. Are you all hearing me this morning? That's good. Okay. Any other comments? Okay, on the back. I, I just wanted to say that... Uh, wait, wait for the mic, Steve, because they can't hear you online if we don't have you mic'd. We can hear you in here. you got a booming voice. But. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, I, I just got done reading a book about the 12 apostles, and what everyone's been saying um, made me think that, you know, Jesus chose 12 very ordinary men yep. to be his apostles. Yep. And in the end, um, when Jesus was crucified, uh, they all abandoned him except I think John was there um, at, at the scene. But when Jesus was resurrected and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to the apostles, just look what all those apostles did after that. And it makes me think that we all have a lot of capabilities and, you know, why don't we use them? Why don't we yeah. use them all yeah. the time like we're talking about now? Yeah, that's good. Really, really good. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to the second part of our, our discussion and the message is this. David responds with awe, humility, praise, and gratitude. When Dennis and I were looking at the text, what, what we were kind of seeing is this first part, the first 17 verses, is like the epic nature of God, this epic covenant. And then it gets real. It gets really tender. It gets very intimate in the remaining verses. So verse 1 to 17 is like God just throwing this royal, irrevocable, eternal dynasty forever, David. Epic. And then verses 18 to 22, it gets real small. And verse 18, the Bible says this. Then King David. So he hears this epic promise. Then King David went in. Where did he go in? Y'all can answer. Where did he go in? There was a tent with the ark. Then King David went in, and what did he do? Sat. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And then he said, Who am I, O Lord God? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And then the rest of the chapter is him praising God and saying, how, how, there's no God like you. And he begins to worship. And then he's silent and he sits and he engages with God. It's interesting, up to this point, there's been a theme and we've been kind of touching it week to week. And it's the theme of David inquiring of the Lord. You know this theme? That he went and inquired of the Lord. Okay, should I take out these guys? Should I fight this, this stronghold? Let's ask the Lord. So he inquires of the Lord. The Lord says, go. He says, okay, we're going. Then the next time, should we go? He goes, no, wait. I got this one for you, David. And then God takes care of it, right? So there's this theme. David's going. He's petitioning. He's listening. He's inquiring. He's asking questions. He's interceding. And here, what does he do? He just sits in the presence of God. I just want to submit something to you. You know your relationship with God is maturing when your time with God is less about requests and more about relationship with him. You know you're maturing and stepping into a deeper place with God when you're ready to be in his presence rather than petitions. Like, my relationships... Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and it's new and so you're kind of nervous so you just start saying stuff to try to keep the silence down? Are y'all hearing me? Yeah. Or am I the only weirdo that does that? <laughs> like if I meet someone for the first time, sometimes I will over talk because I'm uncomfortable being silent with that person. Sometimes with God, all of our talking, talking, talking is because we're uncomfortable just being with him. David shows us someone who just sits and worships. 
Am I saying that we shouldn't petition and shouldn't intercede? That's not what I'm saying. But how about sprinkling some sitting, solitude, and silence in your prayer time? To just sit before the Lord. This is sometimes if I'm sitting there and it gets awkward, you know what I go, what I do? I say, Abba, this is awkward. (laughs) Help me understand. (laughs) And grow in silence and solitude, sitting before the Lord. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Moses leaves the tent of meeting, and the Bible says that Joshua, his assistant, stayed in the tent. Joshua stayed in the tent, very similar tent to the one David's in. There's something about, am I willing to steward the presence of God in my life and see it as a priority relationship? Yeah, I know, I've got meetings to go to. Yep, i got decisions to make. i got a job to go to. Yes, 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 yes. Is a priority being with the Lord, sitting before the Lord. Or Mary, the disciple of Jesus. You remember this story? <laughs> Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus's house. Martha is busy. And where's Mary? Sitting before the Lord, listening. So worship, presence, being with the Lord. The reason David is doing this is because he has just seen gospel good news. David doesn't deserve any of this eternal kingdom. He doesn't deserve any of it. And his response isn't like, ah, yeah. You chose the right guy, Yahweh. What's his response? Who am I? Maybe when worship is cold in my heart and when worship is cold in your heart, it's because we don't see the goodness of the gospel. Have you ever had those moments? I have them. Everyone's worshiping and I'm like, Ugh. I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't feel affection for God right now. Nine times out of ten, it's because I have, I have been blinded to the glory of his goodness. When I see how good he is, my response is, who is like you? No one. And when Jamie is like this and can't see the goodness of Jesus, there is no worship in my heart. And don't wait for Royce and the band to get you there. How about ask the Lord to give you a a picture of the gospel? I want want us to be a, a church that says, even if the world is falling apart around us, we will worship you because you are better than anything else around us. So this epic scale of God just choosing David And his response is, who am I? There is no one like you. And he begins to worship and just be with God. Do you see that eternal, epic, and then the immediacy? One dude and the creator of the universe. He spoke galaxies into being and he dwells within us. (laughs) It's it's literally mind-boggling. And all it is is theology, right? (laughs) People say theology is boring. It is not boring because it's about God. And he is the least boring person ever. Spoke galaxies into being and he dwells right here inside of Jamie. And oh, by the way, all of you by faith in Christ. Let's, Let's just... Sit quiet, bow our heads, uh, and if you want to kneel, I'm just going to speak the promises of God over us, Mm. what is true of us today. Mm. Brothers and sisters, you will be given a great name. Mm. You will be given a dwelling place with the Most High. You will be given rest from all your enemies. You will be part of a royal dynasty. You will inherit 
an irrevocable, eternal kingdom. And brothers and sisters, you will receive eternal adoption as royal sons and daughters. This is your part of your inheritance. And it's just part of your inheritance because of my promises to David. Receive those. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd seal those promises, those declarations into each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In our closing minutes here, are there some I will statements? Are there some practical things that you want to put into place this week, maybe this afternoon, based off of the text? We just want to hear any I will statements. And if you're online and you want to type in some I will statements as well, any I wills, some concrete actions based off of the text. Got chef here. I will, um, in my quiet time, remove all distractions mm. so that I am with him only all the time that I can. Mm. Mm. That's good, chef. That's good. Anybody else want to share? I've got some practical applications just for you to consider. Here's some. Some of you may be here, maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here sitting here, and you realize you have not come into a covenant relationship with God by faith in Jesus. I have, I have good news for you. You can come and receive eternal adoption as a son and daughter, by faith in Christ. <laughs> Turn from the stuff that hasn't been working and come to Jesus, his death and resurrection on your behalf. Secondly, be open to God changing your plans. Uh, I didn't really talk through this, but I, I just want to encourage us. David says, I'm going to build a house for God. And Nathan the prophet goes, do it. The Lord's with you. You got it. Go ahead. And then what happens when Nathan takes a little nap? goes to sleep, God comes to Nathan in the night and says, hey, buddy, tell David we're not doing that. And he doesn't chastise Nathan. Nathan, Nathan made a call in the natural, and he doesn't come after Nathan and say, you're a terrible prophet, like you are not listening to me. But God changed course. Follow me. Just because something looks natural and right in your life does not mean God can't change course on you. We want to be like David, we want to be like Nathan. Be okay with, here's my plan. I've set my goals for the next 90 days and for the next year, but Abba, if you want to do something different, I will follow you. Be open. Third, consider the generational long game over your life. God's relationship with you isn't just about you, it's about generations of your family and friends coming. What does it mean to look at your life and the decisions you're making, the time you're just being spending in his presence, the effect on generations to come? Fourth, intentionally embrace solitude, presence over petitions. We hit that one pretty hard. Five, celebrate grace and adoption at the table. We're going to move from here into communion, and we're going to invite those online to celebrate communion in your homes. The table is a celebration that you and I don't deserve this relationship with God, but he has graciously given it to us and said, why don't you come eat with me? And finally, this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we will be in this room worshiping. Second Wednesday of the month, we're going back into worship nights here in this space. I just want to encourage you, you want to come and sit before the Lord? How about we just come and sit on Wednesday night and worship and be with the Lord? So another practical application for us. So let me pray, 
Just, just got a word in here from Faith George. I'd like to read her yes. I will statement. I will practice giving the Lord time to sit with him during my quiet times. Yes. To just sit with him. Yes. During my quiet times this week. That's very specific and practical. Yeah. Go for it, Faithy. That's good, Faith. Thanks for sharing. Um, let's do this. Let's stand. Um, we have a couple of verses for next Sunday, just as a reminder to you, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and then Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, Bathsheba, friends, that's the story we're looking at next week. So 2 Samuel 11 to 12, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, worship night is this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. I'm going to pray, and then as you exit out, there's going to be socially distanced bread and juice out that door and out that door. You'll just head out, grab those elements. We're going to meet on the patio, and Dennis is going to lead us in communion. If it's raining, we're going to try to huddle under the covered part. Okay? Fair enough? Let me pray and bless you, and then we're going to head out and celebrate communion together. I bless you with intimacy with the Father. I bless you with an increased capacity to sit in silence and solitude with your brother, Jesus with the Spirit, and with your Heavenly Father. I bless you with ears to hear the nickname, the name and identity God is speaking over your life. And I bless you with the very Spirit of God poured into your heart, the love of the Father, confirming that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High King. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your epic nature and your immediate nature with us. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross and resurrection. We thank you for the table. And we thank you for an opportunity to be with family and celebrate and eat together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are loved. Be dismissed. Be at peace.